Hello, everyone. Welcome to Better Health While Aging, a podcast that gives you strategies and information about improving the health and well-being of older adults. We discuss common health problems that affect people over age 60, the best ways to prevent and manage those problems, and we also often address common concerns and dilemmas that come up with aging parents and other older loved ones, like what to do if you're worried about falls or safety or memory, or even the quality of an older person's health care. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Kernison. I'm a practicing geriatrician, so that means I'm a medical doctor specialized in geriatrics, which is the art and science of modifying healthcare so that it works better for older people and for their families. So in today's episode, we are going to be talking about intergenerational connections and how grandparents can connect with grandchildren. My guest is Carrie Byrne. She is an expert in family caregiving who has developed a special interest in these intergenerational connections. And earlier this year, she founded a website called the Long Distance Grandparents. She also has an academic background related to aging. She has a PhD in rehabilitation sciences and has been studying aging, care, and connection for 20 years. She has a position as an adjunct assistant professor in the School of Public Health and Health Systems at the University of Waterloo in Canada, where she does some collaborations with a research team focused on improving family-centered care and transitions. And I met Carrie earlier this year at an event And I was just really intrigued by her focus on how grandparents can be made connected with grandchildren and on the broader question of how we can help generations connect and how we can help people of different ages be more connected. Because I know how important those family connections are and because I also believe that those kinds of connections between different generations in society are so important to everybody. So... Carrie is really an expert in this. She's doing really interesting work in this area, and so I'm so delighted to have her join me today to talk about these intergenerational connections and more specifically about connecting generations within families and grandparents connecting with grandchildren. So Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Leslie. Just delighted to be here. Yeah. So before we get into the question of grandparents and intergenerational connections, I always love to start off by inviting our guests to talk a little bit more about how they became interested in aging and found their way to doing the work that they're doing. So why don't we start with that? Well, I started out wanting to be a child psychologist. So in my first year of university, way back when, uh, that was my major. And I took an elective course on gerontology. And and truthfully, I didn't know what it was uh, besides the definition that was provided in the course syllabus, the study of the aging population. And I took it because it fit into my schedule. It was a night class and I was working full time and going to university at that time. And so I took this course and as part of the course, we were offered bonus points for uh, volunteering at a seniors facility. And so I was a keener, I jumped on that opportunity and I started volunteering there once weekly. And when I first met the director, she told me that she had partnered me with a woman who was living in that facility only because her husband needed extra care. And so she had been in a domestic abuse situation for most of her life and she had had this newfound freedom. And so I would go pick her up. I mean, I was 19 at the time. I'd go pick her up in my uh, Dodge Colt and we would drive across the street to the shopping center and eat at the food court and go to the dollar store and just, and look around. And we had deep, um, you know, wonderful, beautiful conversations that, just really changed the way that I thought about aging 
Now, really briefly, how, how old was she? Age is just a number, but, you know, people in retirement facilities can have, you know, be quite a spectrum. Do you know what? She, I, I don't know. I think she was probably in her 70s. Yes. But when you're time. 19, everyone over age 40 seems old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now that I am mm. over age 40, it doesn't seem so old, but yeah, tr- true enough. And so this was, this really shaped me, I would say academically forever. So at the time I was at university where the only, you know, talk of gerontology was a gerontology certificate. So I switched uh, and had a minor in gerontology uh, but I really turned my attention to studying everything aging from that point forward. And so in that course, I learned about, you know, pet therapy and music therapy and intergenerational therapy and just set me on a career course where, you know, throughout my master's and PhD, I studied issues that were related to aging and care. And if I, you know, I'm a bit unoriginal to the extent that I'm, as I've reflected back on how I've ended up studying aging and care for the last 20 years, it's based on a relationship with my grandparents <laughs> and you know, in particular with my maternal grandmother, uh, I was in the room uh, when I was 12 years old, I was in the room when she died. And I've since just, and, and, you know, looking back on it, like here I studied family caregiving and it took me a long time to figure out that I was actually a young carer at that time, but I didn't identify as such like many family caregivers who don't identify in that role. Uh, but I was sent home first uh, to this rural community that we lived in in Canada, where she lived, uh, to take care of her. And, and so spent all kinds of time with her and was there you know, in the moment that my grandfather was holding her as she took her last breath. And what a formative, what a formative experience, because I actually got to see a beautiful death. Uh, we, she was surrounded by her family. And I was, you know, I'm still grateful to this day that I wasn't shielded from that experience. All the men left the room. Uh, you know, we put makeup on her and dressed her <laughs> before she was taken away. Um, but, you know, looking back, that has definitely been, you know, an influential relationship in my life. And I was also quite close to my maternal grandfather uh, for years and years. And so, so yeah, again, I, I, I mean, I'm not unlike a lot of people that end up studying aging, uh, but you know, that I had a powerful relationship with my grandparents. Right, right. Well, we're going to delve into that, you know, um, <laughs> more because I'm suspecting that you're going to tell us this is, you know, one of the many benefits of intergenerational connections. But yes, it sounds like, you know, you are an example of having been, you know, quite touched and shaped in a very wonderful way by these connections with with your grandparents. But, you know, even those of us who had close or powerful relationships with our grandparents don't end up necessarily studying that relationship, much less starting a website to, (laughs) you know, help grandparents connect with grandchildren. So how did you become interested specifically in that grandparent, grandchild relationship and come to to start this website that you have? I I do remember studying intergenerational programs, you know, way, way back when instead of some of the introductory courses. And it was something that I always thought, I just always thought it was really neat, but didn't go beyond it. So I guess my interest specifically in this relationship was truly ignited when I had my first son, because I say, at the same time, I like to say, I also birthed six long distance grandparents <laughs> and was immediately intrigued by the joy they received from my son. And also I was quite fascinated by his instant comfort and ease with them even though they all lived at a distance. And so my husband's family is in England. At this time, we were living in Canada. And it was through 
you know, Skype calls uh, that we really got to know his grandparents and, and, and they would come to visit and we would go there. When my son was two, my husband was transferred to Dubai. And so again, we were living in Canada, but we became ultra long distance to the grandparents. And I clearly remember the moment uh, being at the airport, walking away from my father who had, who has had and still has a very close relationship with my, uh, with my oldest son. I, I remember walking away because I had left and moved away. You know, I'd left home in my twenties and had walked away from my parents or like, you know, my husband's in England. So I'd lived in England, but I'd never walked away with someone's grandchild <laughs> in my arms before. And so you have these moments that are quite poignant that happen to you personally, that I think drive you professionally. And I, I do remember clearly thinking, I will not let this connection suffer. If this is important for, if this is important for the grandparents and it's important for, for my child. I had one child at the time. So that, that really set me on, you know, really did renew my interest and passion for connecting generations and in particular supporting the connection of generations within, within families. Right. And I think I remember, you know, when we met that you said that, um, you know, living in Dubai, you actually started, well, first of all, there were quite a lot of uh, expats, you know, people who move there for work and so who are far from family. And that you sort of noticed that there were patterns of when grandparents would come to visit and you, you found yourself kind of studying that right around you, right? Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I, I call November in Dubai grandparent season. And it's because it's when it starts to become manageable from a weather perspective. And when you're on the beach, you, you just start to see more grandparents there with their grandchildren. And I was at that time on maternity with my second child who I had in Dubai. And uh, I, I, she, honestly, I was going a little bit stir crazy, uh, not working at that point. And I, and I wanted to kind of make sense of this experience of having lived in Dubai. And so I put out a request to a mom's group that I was part of uh, asking to interview grandparents because there were so many of them around. And I really wanted to just talk to them about why they find this role so meaningful and, and the opportunity to talk to just a diverse set of grandparents. Uh, so I did, and I, I never was able to interview everybody that responded. So we left Dubai shortly after, but I was able to talk to, I think over 20 grandparents. And what stood out to me was that, uh, was this feeling of that the relationship was magical, right? Like it was often described as a surprise that they were surprised that they felt that way. But then also that, you know, because they were living at a distance from their grandchildren, uh, that, that it took extra to stay connected, right? And that they were, and I have since found this just through doing my own uh, research in different forums for grandparents that in particular long distance grandparents are worried that their grandchildren won't know them, that they won't build close bonds with them. Uh, because of the distance. And here I was sitting in a situation where I knew that it, and I know that it's quite possible to build these bonds from a distance. Uh, but of course, it takes time and preparation. And so all, all of these things came together to, to really hone in my focus and niche around the long distance grandparent. Right. Yeah. Well, I can see why, I mean, I can understand why they would have that concern because yes, you know, the distance, right? And how are you going to overcome that distance? But since you brought that up, I just wonder about, you know, grandparents who aren't as far from their grandchildren. Do you know if they also, uh, how common it is for them to feel like they're not as close to their grandchildren as they want or to, you know, be interested in how they can foster that? Or have you mostly really focused on the long distance ones? 
I focus mainly on long distance, but what I will say is that as grandchildren get older, it's a bit tougher to maintain uh, that connection no matter the distance. And so I focus a lot because my children are younger. I focus a lot on the connection with uh, grandchildren that are kind of 10 and under. Uh, but I do share ideas that are you know, valuable for any age of grandchild. And I do have grandparents in our community who are not long distance and right, who are just looking for ideas to stay connected. So, yeah, I mean, I think that if you get to see your grandchild all the time, uh, because you can, you know, but if you live half an hour away from your grandchild, that can be an impediment <laughs> to seeing them more regularly, especially if you're in a major city. Uh, grand grandchildren are busy with their own schedules and sports, and so trying to fit into that uh, can sometimes be tough for tough for grandparents. And it it is really why it's important to work with, you know, to work with parents and kind of set out that intention that the relationship's important to you. And I can talk about that more when we get into some of the more practical components of it. But it's a good point. I mean, it's not just long distance grandparents that value this relationship uh, and 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 or that are looking for ways to stay connected. And so this is actually evidenced by, you know, the number of, and I've been linked into this community now, it's great, the grandmother bloggers that are out there who are sharing ideas for crafts that you do with your grandchildren. Uh, oh, really? To, yeah, yeah. So, and, and I'm not, I'm less than crafty, so... Uh, but I'm happy to share. I'm happy to share other people. Oh, ideas. yeah. Well, I think several in our audience would be interested. And so, of course, you know, when we publish this episode, we'll have a link to your site and we're going to have you talk a little bit more about it because I know you have lots of resources and ideas for grandparents who are at a distance and want to stay connected. But I think also you'll have to let me know afterwards a few other resources that we can point the audience to some of your favorite grandmother bloggers because I, I think this is a recurring you know, definitely a strong area of interest. We know you probably know this research and literature better than I do, but we know that in general, as people get older, they become more interested in relationships. Whereas, you know, when people are earlier in their life, in their 20s and 30s and 40s, they're often, you know, very busy with their career. And, and then also, I think, just, you know, with their nuclear family. You know, yes, yeah. Putting one foot in front of the other as I sometimes feel, and maybe you do too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, and then, you know, later in life, we can, you know, sometimes step back and start thinking about, you know, the things that matter most, you know, including those extended relationships, or, you know, maybe to a certain extent, it's about legacy too. So I, well, I want to come back to more about your site, but before we go there, uh, so, you know, we've, we've said the term intergenerational connections. Can you speak a little bit more about what, you know, that means in research and what we know about why, they're important. Yeah, so really intergenerational connection is, is I guess what it sounds like, right? Connecting people from different generations. And so... Well, one question I had is, is that people you're related to? Or does that also include connecting with different generations who you're not related to? So I would say it's both. I mean, I tend to focus more on the intergenerational connection within families. And you know, my logic is that, and it's actually after years of studying family caregiving and seeing how, you know, innovative and adaptable families are, you know, towards reaching a goal. And so I think that families are probably one of the most adaptable social structures that we have. So I think the power within our own family units to improve intergenerational connection is, is large, but it does, it absolutely includes, you know, connection, broadly speaking, with people in your community. Uh, so not necessarily related to and I mean, from a young age, 
our most important relationships can be characterized as intergenerational, right? With mm-hmm. our parents, our siblings, our grandparents, our cousins, you know, it's all over. And these connections are naturally occurring in families, in our education system, in healthcare, and in our workplace. And yet at the same time, we live in a fairly age segregated society. And, you know, I've been, I've been personally quite influenced by the work of Mark Friedman. And so he is the founder and CEO of an organization called Encore.org. And I love the work they're doing because it is an organization that's focused on really leveraging the skills and talents of adults who are aged 50 and older to serve their communities and in particular children and youth. And so I kind of, I'm, I'm a bit excited to turn 50 (laughs) so that that I can get involved in some of these programs, but he wrote a book called how to live forever, the enduring power of connecting the generations and, you know, talk to social innovators all over the world about bringing generations together. And this is inside your family or outside your family. Anyone interested in connecting generations will definitely enjoy this book. But he talked about age apartheid and how we have, you know, we used to have communities that were where relationships and connections between generations occurred naturally, but that we now have retirement communities. We have, you know, right? People don't necessarily have their grandparents living around them. Um, and so they go to school without exposure to older adults. And so there, there are loads of different programs that are bringing together the young and the old. And I think, so Generations United is a, a not-for-profit that focuses on improving the lives of children and youth and older adults through intergenerational programs uh, and also policies and strategies. And they're really uh, the authority, I would say, here in the U.S. on intergenerational connection. And they have cataloged over 700 <laughs> uh, programs in the U.S. alone that focus on connecting uh, you know, the youngest and oldest. And so this can be in programs. So for example, in a school where uh, older people in the community come in and read to the children, right? Or or I'm uh, probably listeners have heard about uh, initiatives in the UK, for example, where, and, and here in the US as well, but where they have uh, younger people coming into uh, older people's communities and interacting in that way. And so yeah, inter- intergenerational connection, you know, it's, it's all around us. And I think you're right. And, and when you start to kind of, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, I mean, I, partly I was thinking, well, I think a lot of opportunities are around us. And, you know, and so it sounds like it's partly about making people aware of the opportunities, right? So one opportunity for older adults who are interested in this is that they could look around for opportunities for them to volunteer or connect with younger generations. Yes. So I'm happy to provide also just a few different links. So, so I mentioned Generations United mm-hmm. and you can actually go in and search in their database and find something that exists in your community uh, and or reach out to them so that they can help to connect you with a program. And then also uh, Encore.org has a program directory again, just hundreds of different programs about, uh, there's also an organization called foster grandparents. And so you can become a foster grandparent to a young person in your community. So yeah, there are, I mean, there are tons of ways that you can get involved with youth and children in the community. I think I I was even looking at uh, virtual volunteering and the, the, so that if you, you know, if you can't get out of the house, if you're, uh, you know, especially if you're family caregiving and you're at home quite a bit, but wants to be able to contribute uh, to youth and to children, 
uh, the United Nations has an online volunteering portal. And I can provide links to all of those so people can uh, check them out and see if anything yeah. resonates for them uh, in terms of getting involved. Yeah, no, that's so exciting. And also this conversation is making me think of the recent podcast episode with Bill Thomas, which was uh, episode 100. It was his third time, but you know he's been working to change the narrative about aging for quite a while. And he you're echoing what he said, which is that the age segregation, I don't know that he used the term age apartheid, but I like that too, <laughs> that is fairly pervasive in the United States. You know, he talked about how the housing has kind of fostered that, that we had this movement decades ago for houses in the suburbs, right? You know, which effectively were like castles with moats, you know, you, you drive right into your garage and go into your house. And so people are not very connected to their neighbors. And that we, you know, we need to move back towards living in communities that are more in interconnected with our neighbors and communities that are, are multi-generational, multi-ages, multi-abilities to have more of this connection opportunity. If I'm, if I'm echoing anything that Bill Thomas says, then I'm, I'm on the right track. Oh, so. yeah, well, for sure, for sure. So, and you know, so I think this is a movement that we need to continue to, to foster. Yeah, I agree. And, and, you know, I would say also that you know grandparents grandparents are a powerful force towards ending ageism and i've i've just been you know, i've been thinking through this more and more uh, over the last couple of months and i started thinking about it after i read this study that got a lot of press and it was it was out of belgium uh university in belgium and they looked at the impact of contact with grandparents on children's and adolescents' views about older people. And, and so I, I was intrigued by the findings because they talked about how it's actually the quality of contact with your grandchild uh, that matters towards them having a more favorable feelings to older adults. And so I liked it for my audience because for long distance grandparents, they don't get to see their grandchildren very often but they have this opportunity to make sure that the interactions they have with them are high quality. And so that, that study really just kind of set me up on looking at, you know, what potential role could grandparents play towards ending ageism? And, you know, secondly, I, and I think, you know, grandparents, I really want to leverage findings that grandparents see themselves as playing an important role in their grandchildren's lives. So the American Association of Retired Persons, uh, you know, did a great survey all about grandparents and over 50% of grandparents see themselves as a source of wisdom, right? And they teach children about, you know, sexism and racism and all these things. And so I think they're just, they're really well-placed to teach about ageism. Right, right. Right? I mean, yeah. Well, I want to delve more into that, but before briefly for the study in Belgium. So did they find that the quality of interactions was more important than the quantity or just that you could still have a strong effect, even if you didn't have a lot of quantity, if the quality was good? No, it was just about quality. It was actually the most important factor that affected their views. It was it was the quality of contact. Okay. And how did they how did they assess the quality of contact? Right. So if, if one of our listeners is like, huh, am I having good quality contacts with my grandchildren? I mean, it was looking at, I think it was a one item, a two item kind of scale, but that was just really about their perception of uh, their relationship with their with their grandparent. They were serving the grandchildren? Yeah, grandchildren. And so they looked at how emotionally close that they feel to their grandparent and then how appreciative 
of their uh, contact with their grandparent that they are. So that was how they measured it. Well, good. Well, so yeah, so let's delve into that idea more about the role that grandparents might play in countering ageism. And, you know, which ties into something else that I wanted to ask about, which was, you know, kind of myths about grandparents, because, you know, part of the broader countering of ageism is challenging these myths and narratives that are kind of faulty about aging, right? So do we also have some myths or narratives about grandparenting that, you know, you found aren't true? And is that part of how grandparents can counter ageism? Yeah, well, one one of the myths about grandparents, I think, is that they're, you know, that they're all older, you know, in kind of like their 80s, and that they're that they're frail. Mm-hmm. And, and of course, while some are, some absolutely are, the average age that someone becomes a grandparent in the US is 50. And oh, so I, mm-hmm. right. So I thought, and, and it, you know, this kind of translates when I'm trying to look for photos to use in my own business about, uh, about grandparents, because mm-hmm. when I work with different, uh, you know, different designers, the, the photos that come back are not of they don't represent grandparents, right? And so, if you're becoming a grandparent at age fifty, and that's seven years for me, I'm actually closer. I became a mom, I think, closer in age to a first-time grandparent than I did for the average first-time mother. And so, I mean, this is similar in Canada and the UK, um, and and really that there's a range of. I mean, people, because I think the AARP study reported the people, the youngest being around 38 years old and the oldest being 100 plus years. And so there's this huge span of, of time of, you know, 60 plus years in between, you know, of, of the age of the grandparent, right? And so I think it's, you know, quite similar when we talk about, about just aging in general. Right. You know, yeah, that, it's that, a diverse group. It's a, it's a pretty broad age spread. Um, and then of course at any age, there's a like wide diversity. And so it sounds like grandparents are often, you know, may not be as many of them are younger than we might think. And, and also most of them are not particularly frail. Yeah, absolutely. And, and actually that, um, the period of healthy grandparenthood is, is actually increasing, right? So we think that sometimes because of delays in grandparenthood due to fertility postponement, right? So people are having children at a later age, um, but that that's not really translating. And so the time that people are in healthy grandparenthood can become much longer and you can be a grandparent for 30 to 40 years. So, you know, the idea that you will have, not idea, but I mean, my assertion that you will have a very important impact on your grandchildren and you, and you have a long period of time to do it. <laughs> You've got 30, 30 or 40 years to, to get it right. And now, do you know if our younger grandparents are more likely to be involved with grandchildren than older ones? Do you know? I don't. I don't. I'm just trying to think about any research that I've seen specifically about it. I mean, I've, I've read about it in the context of younger, uh, younger grandparents uh, potentially being more active with grandchildren. Um, but I mean, younger younger can be... I mean, my dad's 78. <laughs> right, and, right. Right. I mean, he's, he's on the floor, he's in the park running around in the slides. I mean, he's in, he's in quite good shape. So yeah, I don't, nothing stands out. Nothing stands out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, great. Well, so, and then what are some other myths that you have come across? Well, I think, so one of them also is that grandparents are retired with tons of time on their hands. And so again, while this is true for a for a group of grandparents, 
in this in this uh, survey that the ARP did, you know, they found that four in ten grandparents are still in the workforce, and so. You know, generally speaking, we tend to think of grandparents as having all of this extra time, and that's just not really, that's not really the case, right? So it's actually busy, so it's busy schedules. Of, we talked about how, you know, the busy schedules of children and grandchildren um, can get in the way of connecting, but it's also the busy schedules of grandparents, right, where they are um, oftentimes into their, you know, if we say their third act, and they, you know, maybe aren't like starting their own businesses or you know, having serious responsibilities at work. And so that influences the amount of time that they're able to spend with their grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Right. So we shouldn't assume that they have plenty of time and on their hands. And then any other myths that you want to share and debunk with us? I don't think any myths, but one of the numbers that I found to be uh, quite surprising was reported, uh, there were a, cu- a couple of professors out in Australia um, Susan Moore and Doreen Rosenthal. And so they wrote a book on grandparenting just in the last couple of years. And they estimated that uh, there are almost a billion grandparents in the world. And so, you know, I don't know, that number just really stuck with me. <laughs> and, right. you know, that the worldwide between 70 to 80% of older adults are grandparents. And they kind of extrapolated from a bunch of different demographic studies. But Again, a billion grandparents in the world, uh, and and you know this comes back to why I believe that grandparents will be a powerful force towards ending ageism. The the, the sheer numbers of grandparents, and the you know the, the potential length of time that they have to influence the values and morals of grandchildren. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So say more about that about how grandparents uh, can counter ageism. So I think you mentioned that they can, well, actually, yeah, just tell us more about that. Well, so I think they, so they can do it at, you know, within families at the dinner table. I mean, much like they kind of call out and, and actually see themselves as contributing to calling out things like sexism. You you can call out ageism. It's about the way that you talk about yourself, Mm -hmm. right? It starts with how you talk about yourself and you can model, you know, the, you can model how you want them to see an older person. And I think a lot of grandparents do this naturally, right? They have these phenomenal relationships uh, with their grandchildren. And, you know, so just by the nature of the relationship, there will be a lot of good <laughs> towards mm-hmm. the perception of, of people that are older. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, you know, I was actually thinking, this is so interesting. I'm, I was again thinking about, you know, the recent podcast episode with Bill Thomas, where at the and, you know, his advice to the audience, you know, in terms of countering ageism was to be sure to think about your own internalized ageism, because most of us have some or a lot, right? Which yes. we, you know, uh, which manifests with, you know, things like looking in the mirror and being dissatisfied because our face looks older than 10 years before, you know, for those of us, especially once you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, beyond, or, you know, complaining about getting old. And so it's interesting to me, you know, to think about how that that it's important to not just do that for ourselves, but to realize that if we say things like that in front of younger children, we might be contributing to ageism. And if we instead talk about our aging faces and bodies in a way that is accepting and loving, then we would be you know, modeling the opposite, right? Definitely. And I think also talking about, you know, and, and I'm changing my language, I think since turning 40, <laughs> that I've had it, you just end up with a bit of reflection at that age. And so, you know, I think about aging as a privilege, 
And once you've been in a scenario where you've lost friends and you've lost family, uh, but you start to realize what, you know, what a privilege that is. And I think also, this is how I talk to the grandparents and it's about how I model behavior to my son as well, right? How I talk about grandparents uh, to him, right? Uh, and, and sort of like the value of what, so we oftentimes will talk about, uh, you know, my father who uh, was a footballer in his day in Ireland and played for Ireland. And so we have a, we've got a framed picture of his cap and, you know, I mean, so we just really, so that he, so that he can see himself in his, and his grandfather and see that his grandfather was this amazing footballer. And so they play football, you know, and, and sorry, I should say, I'm talking about soccer. Right. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> right. Soccer. Not, it's not it's good to clarify American. that for a U.S. audience. Yes. Yes. Uh, so. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I think that people, yeah, the grandparents definitely have a role within. Like, I'll, I'll say it at the dinner table, you know, in the conversations that you know the conversations that they have, and I think it's that they're well placed to introduce the concept and dangers of ageism, and that sounds a bit kind of foreshadowing, but you know, they've likely experienced it. And without a massive shift in the narrative of aging, their grandchildren will face it too and be limited by it one day as well. I've, you know, I've also, I have um, been reading Joseph Coughlin's book called The Longevity Economy. Oh, uh huh, yeah. And, you know, I, I was struck by this assertion that he made that the world's most advanced economies will evolve around the needs, wants, and whims of grandparents. And, you know, it's a great quote. Um, when you start to break it down a little bit, you know, I think that there will be, increasingly businesses who are often staffed by people from different generations are really being forced to figure out, you know, how to talk to grandparents. It's mm -hmm. a huge industry. The average grandparent spends just over like $2,500 a year on their grandchild, you know, between like gifts and vacations and schooling. And, and so I think advertisers are really needing to figure out how to reach this market. And what's important to grandparents, you know, that, that they will say is, is family right? And family values. And so anything that kind of reeks of ageism, you know, isn't going to fly. And so just as a, a group who, who spends, who spends money, uh, and is, you know, really forcing different generations to actually have more realistic perceptions of what it means to be a grandparent and what it looks like, right? What it looks like to be a grandparent. And that's important. Mm -hmm, mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so now let's talk a little bit more about your website and this community you're building and how you're trying to help them with, uh, it seems like you identified a need, which is that many of them are far from their grandchildren and would like to be more connected. Um, and so that you've been sort of figuring out ways, you know, ideas to give people and ways to do this. So tell us what you've learned through doing this? Because I'm sure we have lots of people in the audience who are grandparents and would love to learn more about how, what they can do to stay connected, even if they live far away. Yes. Yeah, so, okay, so I love talking about this. So you might have to stop me if I, <laughs> I will if, if I have I, to. <laughs> okay. Yeah. You could feel free to intervene and bounce me out of this conversation because it is something that I can get really fired up about and, and do love to talk about. You know, one, just, I want to kind of back up because I think that, uh, Distance is one of the biggest barrier to seeing grandchildren. And I think what, what um, the American Association of Retired Persons, and I refer to this survey because I just think it's really interesting <laughs> that they did mm -hmm. one. Yeah, um, no, we'll it, post it, a link to it in the show notes. But yeah. yeah, that it's quite recent. And so they, you know, I think it was about over half of grandparents reported they had at least one grandchild who lived more than 200 miles away. And 
almost half of grandparents also reported that <clears throat> distance is a challenge they face as a grandparent. And so this is where, you know, the, the research and the findings are really dovetailing with what I'm experiencing personally about trying to keep my children connected to their grandparents for a little bit of distance. So we are, we are, we have since left Dubai and we are now in, we're in Houston, Texas. And so we have grandparents uh, back in Canada uh, and in England. And so I really have learned from the best about how to stay connected. So we have some you know, phenomenal grandparents that, that range in age, you know, they're in their sixties uh, all the way into their eighties. And, you know, I've been able to see what they do that has really made a difference with my own children. And for long distance grandparents, I kind of break it down into, excuse me, three, you know, different areas that are sort of the, the three different ways that you can stay connected to your grandchildren. And that's through, you know, snail mail. So the mailbox uh, through video chatting. And so, some, you know, people are Skyping or FaceTiming with their grandchildren and then through in-person visits. And I always think of mail as being one of the best tools in the long distance grandparent toolkit. And it's all the more special now because it's, because it is less common, right? So it's, it's easy to kind of send off a text or a video, but to actually receive a piece of mail is quite exciting. I still get excited by it. My grandfather used to call it real mail. I go to the mailbox with Minnie and say, is there any real mail in there? That's mail that's not a bill or a flyer, but from a real person. And so for grandparents, though, at a distance, the key to sending mail is to make it interactive in some way and to try and make it extend beyond the mailbox. So, you know, most recently I shared with my audience about you know, if you send them a gift, buy yourself the same gift so that you can play with it together online. So buy, you know, buy the same tea set and then have a tea party together, even buy the same Barbie or stuffed toy or remote control car uh, so that you can, right, so that you can play together, buy the same book so that you can read it together online. Right. I was wondering how gifts, you know, were going to fit in with the ways to stay connected because you had mentioned before that grandparents spend a lot on gifts and, you know, it's certainly something that I think of as a way that grandparents are involved. But that's a neat idea to not only send a gift, but if you're at a distance, have a version for yourself so that then I guess when you're on Skype or a video call, you can, you know, both be, be with it. Okay. And it's funny that you mentioned snail mail too, because so in, in our family, my, my husband's parents are older than, than my mother. My father uh, died at 61, relatively young, although he was one of those people who didn't model the best attitude about aging. My whole life, I remember him always sort of moaning about getting older and saying how he wished he was 10 years younger. <laughs> so, so I miss him, but then I think, well, at least he's not modeling that. <laughs> yeah. And I, sorry, I just wanted to quickly share that my grandfather used to say that if he knew he was going to live to so long that he would have taken better care of himself. And so we had the same kind of, <laughs> right. you know, the same kind of talk. Yes. yes. Um, but my mother, you know, had me relatively young. And then I, you know, I think like many professional women, you know, had my children after age 30, although even, you know, in your early thirties is, you know, on the young side for professional women. But so when my daughter was born, my, you know, my, my mother was not even 60, but my husband's family, uh, his mother got married relatively late for her generation and, you know, had children and then he got married relatively late. And so, so my mother-in-law right now is 90. And what has been very charming is that she's always been, uh, they're at a distance, they're in New York. 
she, you know, has always, you know, sent postcards to the kids and calls and we see them. But recently, I'm not sure why she and my daughter have struck up a mail correspondence where they are, you know, mailing each other letters. And it's been really charming. My daughter's now 11 to see how interested my daughter is in this. And I think it's because it does stand out in this era of electronics. Absolutely. And I think becoming a pen pal with your grandchild is just another wonderful idea for grandparents and the audience and in, you know, in particular sending, you know, telling them stories about their parents, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Children, children love that. I have a friend whose father does that, sends to, the, uh, to his grandchild stories about the mom at the mm-hmm. same age that the granddaughter is right now. And she loves it. He'll send oh, pictures I love that. and just so yeah, tell stories about when you're, when, so I guess grandparents can send stories to the grandchild about when the, the parent, the middle generation yeah. <laughs> was the child's age. Yeah. Yes. And I mean, oh, that we, is really fun. Uh-huh. We research, we just research all kinds of things, don't we? And like, that's actually in the research about <laughs> how to keep kids' attention um, is, is talking to them about, uh, about their own parents. So your, your mother-in-law, she's on the right, she's on the right track with the uh-huh. piece and the male. Yeah. And I think also this is another skill that the, an older generation can model to a younger one is um, letter writing. <laughs> You know, I mean, I hate to say it, but I, I write so few letters and I feel like I came of age right, you know, when email was taking off in college. And so I do remember writing letters when I was in high school. Uh, my family moved abroad my last year of high school and I, you know, wrote long letters to my friends and some letters in college. But during my time in college in the mid 90s, everybody kind of transitioned over to email. So I think there's something um, I was appreciating, you know, my mother-in-law's letters because I was thinking, I don't know that I can really write letters anymore, but, um, but she's quite good at it. And I'm glad for my daughter to have that example. Well, and I love the, you know, I encourage grandparents after they've spent time with their grandchild to send a thank you note, thanking them for that time together. And, you know, one of the reasoning behind it is exactly what you've just said, right? Is, is that, I mean, teaching, first of all, the long lost art of writing thank you notes, (laughs) that is, you know, that was always really important in my husband's family. And so we, we try and stick to, to it as well. We're, we're behind right now because we've just had, you know, Halloween and birthdays. And so my, my son, Finn, who's just turned five, <laughs> is going to be you know, sat at the table writing thank you notes, try to finish up the ones before Christmas. But for grandparents, it's an opportunity to show children how much it means when you write a letter about time that you've spent together and, and and it also serves as a keepsake as well. And so I have, I have loads of postcards. My grandfather and I used to send postcards back and forth and um, he since died and those, they, they really mean a lot. Right. And, and having that, I think, like you said, when you're in your twenties and thirties, you don't necessarily realize how important that relationship is. And so I think a, a wonderful gift that grandparents can give to their grandchildren are these things like letters and keepsakes, uh, because it will, if it's not important to them right now, or they don't see the importance of it, they will see the importance of it. Right, right. And now you also mentioned a little while ago when you were talking about three ways to stay connected, you mentioned snail mail, you mentioned in-person visits, and I thought you were going to mention the telephone, but actually I think you mentioned, you know, Skype and video chats. And um, so that's certainly, you know, a more modern phenomenon is that now we have all these technological ways to connect that were not so common, you know, even 10 years ago, I think it's really expanded the, the options, Never mind 20 years ago. 
So can you talk a little bit more about how you see, um, first of all, uh, what you've learned about the way these the different formats, phone versus video chat, seems to affect people, but also like what are you know the the options people have available that you think are especially useful? Yeah, so I have definitely a love hate relationship with technology. Um, I, I used to work I used to work with a technology company, and I was the director of research. And kind of the in house joke was not to let me touch the technology. I, right? I would I would I would talk to the to the people using the the, the tool, but. So I will say, and, and, you know, my dad, who's 78, I always call him a pioneer of Skype because he learned about Skype early days. He had family in Ireland. Uh, and so video chatting, you know, he's been doing that for, for many, many years. And so things like Skype or FaceTime are certainly things that grandparents are using and are very interested in using with their grandchildren. And not surprisingly, because you, you can see them, right? You can actually see their face. You can have more meaningful interaction when you're having a video chat as opposed to a phone chat. Uh, and, and for the reasons that if you can, you know, ask your grandchild to take you for a tour of their bedroom, right? Ask them questions, like ask them to show you things, which is how you keep the attention of younger grandchildren. And so I've actually got um, on my site at the Long Distance Grandparent, uh, a, a downloadable with just a whole bunch of ideas about how to keep children's attention. Uh, on on video chats and and this does include things like getting a little bit silly you know wearing hats and masks and you know lots of singing and all kinds of things that have been shared with me uh, by long distance grandparents about how to stay connected i'm also i've also really just in the in the last several months we've been using an app called marco polo and it is you know it's it doesn't sound like it doesn't sound like much when i describe it it's a video walkie talkie is kind of how they describe it the mission of the company is to keep people close and i have to tell you everybody from i mean my 18 month old to my mother in law who's in her 80s we're all on this app together and so you can send video back and forth and it works particularly well when you are in different time zones like we are because this is this is a struggle for long distance grandparents how do you get into the schedule of your of your grandchildren, right? They're busy. And so this way, you know, my mother-in-law can send something, you know, at night or whenever it works for her. And then we can look at it whenever we want. We can look at that video and then respond. Mm -hmm. And it's so you're hard not to just... trying to schedule the live video FaceTime. Which we love as well. And and so in some ways nothing really compares to having that back and forth. But this comes pretty close, I will say, you know, because it kind of addresses a lot of the the challenges that people face when they're trying to find this time to, to connect through uh, video. But, you know, I also encourage grandparents to just keep a bag beside, uh, keep a bag beside whatever tablet or phone or however, you know, the computer that they use to stay in touch with their grandchildren with, you know, uh, uh, you know, hats and masks and toys that they can pull out to be more interesting. Oh, to have a little costume and props bag. You know what? Yeah. And, it, and you don't have to be a three ring circus, but I can tell you that if my son answers a Skype call or FaceTime call and the person on the other side has something funny on their face, you know, the chances are about 150% more likely uh, that he's going to at least stop for a minute and, and engage in that conversation. And I think also, uh, you know, having just having some jokes around for children, uh, I encourage grandparents to kind of keep a list of questions to ask besides how was school today? You know, the mm. question that kind of always results that, in fine. Yeah, that's a question that eternally falls flat. So yes, what are better questions? 
Yeah. So I mean, to go well. Yeah. So and and keep a list of these. And so I've got um, I've got a blog on my site all about it. But you know, who was the funniest person at school today? Who made you laugh? If you could be the teacher for the day, what would you teach? Uh, There are just a multitude of questions. Uh, that that you can ask and, and then show me your room I like that one yeah the tour the the grand tour and and this is it like there's a there's an opportunity for grandparents to to do what they do best which is to make their grandchildren feel special right and and unique and listen to and so there's just a lot of value a little value in that yeah because they're not in that role of like day-to-day hurting them along through life right Yes. I mean, that's, you know, part of, I mean, I think as parents, we're there trying to help them feel special. And I feel like often I'm caught up in sort of moving along through everything that I need to do that I need to get them to do. (laughs) That's why it's nice to go on vacation, actually, to get a break from that dynamic. Yeah. And and this is especially the case for, well, I mean, it's funny for long distance grandparents because they also, you know, they talk about how, so they'll go and stay for more, like for longer periods of time. And so, you know, there are grandparents that will see their grandchildren every week. And so they have Sunday dinner together. Um, but for long distance grandparents, you're in the thick of it, right? Like you are there for the, you know, the morning wake-ups and the breakfast routine and the nighttime tantrums. And, you know, so I think there's, I've always found that that's actually really brought us closer together with grandparents uh, because we do share so intimately that space together. Uh, for for longer periods of time, and so they really do. Even though they don't get to see my children as often, uh, they they have these you know extended periods of time together uh, and get and get to know each other. And, and you know these in person visits, I think, are quite important for for long distance grandparents in particular. Um, and so you know trying to spend one on one time with your grandchildren uh, during these visits. But I also I also recommend that grandparents just try and surprise and delight whenever they can. And one of the ways that you can do this is by leaving something behind. And so my, my uncle just did this. And so he's an honorary grandparent. He's a great uncle to my children. And he left, uh, he left a present for them under his pillow in the room that he stayed in. Okay, so honestly, it was a it was actually a fart machine. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> so the dream it, gift for little boys, <laughs> the absolute dream gift, and so and I have probably little girls too. I think my daughter would love that too. You know what? I think anyone would love it. I mean, I remember the whoopee cushion in uh-huh. my day just being right. fantastic, right? And like putting it everywhere and laughing uh-huh. hysterically. Yeah. I have since I've just since hidden the fart machine <laughs> because <laughs> I just can't. I can no longer listen to it. Uh, but he also left some Christmas uh, decorations that they put up. And so I think leaving something behind uh, is a, just a powerful way to connect with them. It's an opportunity to connect, right? So leave a letter uh, in their coat pocket, right? Even a sticky note inside their closet, a message inside their drawer, just saying grandma loves you. I think also that you can ask for some kind of interaction. And so I actually quite like the idea for older grandchildren of leaving gift cards and then asking, you know, ask them to take a selfie of themselves mm. and send it, you know, in the coffee shop, right? Like whether it's in the, you know, Starbucks at their university. Uh, so, you know, there, there are a multitude of ways <laughs> that you can just go just that extra mile uh, to, you know, to stay connected and to make sure that it's just really all about getting in front of your grandchildren and being part of their everyday life, even when you're not there physically. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Carrie, this has been such a wonderful conversation. I mean, I guess if I were to try to sort of summarize what you have been saying, 
I think people, you know, once they are grandparents, feel, you know, feel drawn to their grandchildren. It sounds like that's easy, but that maybe some people are sometimes assuming that the distance is going to make it hard to be close or have felt like that distance is a barrier. And what I'm hearing you say is that there are still lots of opportunities to connect and that some of it starts with really setting an intention, you know, because especially at a distance, it's not going to happen automatically. But that if grandparents set an intention to maintain, to foster and maintain that connection, that there are lots of doable ways and that this can end up uh, playing an incredibly important role in the family and in their grandchild's life. And also be really good for the grandparent, of course, because we all thrive on sort of purpose and meaning and connection uh, with others. Wonderfully summarized. (laughs) Okay. And then what specifically led you to start, you know, your site? Really just a culmination of all the things that we've talked about, uh, that it's personally really important to me to make sure that my children are connected with their grandparents. And I'm watching as their grandparents are doing all of these really neat things to keep them connected. And I want to be able to share that. Uh, And now, especially since I've had conversations and connection with long distance grandparents as they're sharing what they're doing. And so I feel quite called just to serve this group. I don't, you know, there aren't other, there are a lot of grandparent blogs or grandmother blogs, uh, but none that are focused specifically on the long distance grandparent. And, you know, I see, like you said, that it's important to set the intention and it's important to plan for these connections. And so I want to be able to help empower grandparents to do that and to just make sure that they always have an idea at hand about how to stay, about how to stay connected. And, and truly that, you know, distance, I mean, distance is a barrier. It's, you know, would I prefer that we lived in the same community as the grandparents? I would, (laughs) I would, but, you know, I also see how amazing the relationship is that my children have with their grandparents. And that's been, you know, that it is, like you said, from being intentional about it. And I think, you know, at this time of year in particular, when we're thinking about New Year's resolutions, uh, that there are all kinds of resolutions that we can make that we probably won't keep, but what a beautiful resolution to make to connect more with your grandchild. And so I hear from grandparents that say, oh, I just feel like I could be doing just a little bit extra, you know, to forge that connection, to build that bond and to maintain it, to maintain that bond. And so I think setting a connection resolution is, is, is quite a lovely way to start the new year. Yeah. And the decade, right? So, um, yeah, that, so gosh, well, that yeah. is wonderful. So, well, we will definitely post a link to your site in the show notes. I think it's the long distance grandparent.com, but we'll have a link in the show notes as well. And again, on your site, you, um, people can sign up to get kind of, um, helpful articles with ideas about what they could try next. And I think you mentioned you also have some downloadables that are on specific themes. Yeah, and there, there are a variety of different topics covered on the site. So we also talk about you know, traveling with your grandchildren, right? Skip gen travel is quite a popular thing right now where you travel without the parents and just travel with the grandchildren. And so I've got some information about uh, groups like Road Scholar. It's a not-for-profit organization that creates experiential learning opportunities for all ages. I love this organization. They have an entire, yeah, they have this entire section just focused on uh, on grandparents and grandchildren with, you know, neat adventures like learning about marine biology or taking a six-day trip all about magic. Oh. Uh, so 
right? That's so the, great because people always need ideas for like specific implementations, right? <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I love that, that there, you know, are these organizations that are making it easier for people to come up and implement those kinds of trips. Well, Carrie, this has been really wonderful to have you on the show. I learned a lot, actually, uh, listening to you. And, and so, yes, for our audience who are grand parents, definitely check out Carrie's website. And then, you know, even for people who are not grandparents, you know, we also have an important role to play in connecting with people of other generations, whether that's in, you know, connecting with people of an older generation or connecting with people of a younger generation, depending on where we're at. And so we will also have links to some of the resources that you have that can be useful to people who just want to do more of that connecting outside of the grandchild-grandparent relationship. And any last tips or key takeaways that you want to share with the audience? No, I think, well, you know what I want to share actually is about my favorite news story. So I'm going to end on this because uh, it's a, it's a story about, it's called Grandma Joy's Road Trip. And it, it represents a few different things to me. And one is just that, that people are, uh, are really enamored with this relationship between grandparents and grandchildren, and it is important. And so this is a, a guy who's in his 30s who is taking his 89-year-old grandmother to see all the national parks across the U.S., and they, it's a beautiful story. You know, they were estranged for years. Uh, they are now, I think, at their 50th park. And, and so I, I suggest it as a story because I think that it does highlight a few, different, a, a few different pieces about intergenerational connection that's important. And it's, a, it's just a feel-good story, too. So I, I didn't want to not share that story because I love it. So there you go. That's my... Yes. Okay. <laughs> that's so my, that's a my... beautiful story to end on. And, and uh, I guess in closing, I'll just, again, highlight the thing you said a little while ago, that if you are sort of setting some intentions for the new year, for 2020 or the whole decade, it's a beautiful idea to sort of ask yourself, how could I connect more with the people who matter to me. And if you have grandchildren thinking about, you know, how you could do that. Absolutely. I, okay. I couldn't summarize it any better. Thanks right. so much for having me, Leslie. It's been a real treat to be able to talk about this. Thank yeah. you. All right. Cheers. And with that, I'm going to wrap up this episode of Better Health While Aging. If you have any questions about something you heard in this episode, you can post it on the show notes page for the episode. I'll also be posting some links to some of the resources that I mentioned in the episode. To find the show notes, visit betterhealthwhileaging.net and click podcast in the main menu at the top. Last but not least, if you've been enjoying the podcast, don't forget to support us by subscribing on iTunes. And if you've already done that, please leave a rating and review. This makes it easier for others to discover our show in iTunes. And I would love for the many people who are interested in health or aging or family caregivers to be able to find it and give it a chance. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Dr. Leslie Kernison, and I'm looking forward to you joining us for future episodes.